Welcome to our show, Discover the Difference, brought to you by C3. I am your host, Jamie Reed, alongside the ever-professional Gabriel Earl. Today on the show, we have Hannah Allen from Project Concern International, otherwise known as PCI. And we are going to dive into some uncomfortable topics around sex trafficking, But it's a highly important topic, especially in the city of San Diego, where there is a high engagement in this type of activity. PCI plays a very, very important role around the awareness of what's going on in the sex trafficking industry and what we can do as individuals to help prevent it. And maybe most importantly, what what the businesses out there can do to take an active role Because we as business owners, I know I personally, I never really thought about my business having an active role in anti-sex trafficking, but we very much so do. And we're going to engage in this conversation with Hannah and she's going to take you on a journey where you're going to learn about the topic and you're going to learn about how the business community can become engaged. So enjoy our episode with Hannah. All right, Hannah. Well, thanks for joining us today. Gabe and I had the pleasure of meeting you several years ago now. You're with Project Concern International, otherwise known as PCI, a uh, amazing anti-trafficking organization that has an international footprint, impacts millions and millions of people worldwide. Could you start by just giving our listeners an introduction to PCI and, and what you do there? Sure, yeah. PCI is actually in the process of merging with a fellow international humanitarian organization called Global Communities, um, which is really cool to see two large nonprofits kind of come together and um, make one larger, stronger organization. Um, But we do operate internationally. We're in over 20 countries, and our programming is really vast. Um, We do hunger, uh, we address hunger, we address health, we address natural disaster, hardships, um, refugee camps, things like that. Um, But PCI was founded here in San Diego, and it was important um, to be sure that we're um, still in touch with our local community and we're serving them in a way that's useful. So um, about 10 years ago, PCI surveyed the local um, landscape of what's going on in San Diego and realized that human trafficking is definitely something that's happening here and it needs to be addressed here. And so we decided to pursue this cause and it's been really impactful. Maybe you can, um, cause I know, you know, PCI is doing so many things all across the world. Um, and it's pretty, um, you know, they're working with, um, you know, women and girls and hunger and, um, you know, all these needs all around the world. I know you're kind of you know, focused on the um, human trafficking awareness. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about, um, you know, you're leading that project up and uh, just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the story probably starts with um, our other anti-trafficking program, which is uh, a prevention education program for youth called Project Roots. And it's a peer mentorship kind of setup with a curriculum to guide a facilitator through several weeks of um, conversations with kids about eight to 13 is who the program is aimed towards. Um, And they have an adult facilitator who goes through the different activities and different subjects to cover, like what is equity and what does it mean? What is equality and what does that mean? Um, What is empathy and how do we show it? Um, So it's a really cool program and and PCI recognized that the place we can serve best is prevention education. Um, We don't do any like direct victim service work. We rely on the nonprofits here in San Diego who are already doing that work to kind of stay the leaders in that way. Um, But another gap that we saw within the city is that we're missing activity from the private sector. The private sector doesn't know the extent of trafficking in San Diego. Um, or the ways that they could unknowingly be contributing to trafficking. Um, And we want to connect with them, you know, break down some myths, create some educational foundation to um, not only make people aware of what's happening, but also tell them how they can be part of the solution. Um, And so from from that idea, we conceptualized a business alliance against sex trafficking. And it's been my job at PCI to create that business alliance, that framework that exists. So if you'd like to hear about it, I would love to give you a breakdown of 
E3 Alliance. Absolutely. That's the point at which Gabe and I met you is when you were, the name E3 had not even evolved yet, but the concept uh, and how you were creating that is we sat in the conference room, we're sitting there right now and you briefed us in a way that, I mean, I was blown away. I didn't, I had no real education about the topic until you spoke about it. So I, our listeners would definitely love to hear about this. Just to add to that, it's, we got blown away by, you know, realizing that San Diego, um, you know, is in the, you know, the, one of the top um, areas for um, sex trafficking and a huge area. We're, we're here based in Mission Valley and um, we've, we kind of got blown away that it's right in our, here in our backyard. So definitely want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think um, in order to share with you about E3, um, I think it's important to share why this is a role that I'm doing. Um, I've never been um, a victim of exploitation and um, I had to find the place where I fit in this movement to actually use the skill sets that I have to offer. Um, So I'll share with you that I originally came to San Diego from Las Vegas and I spent about the first decade of my career working in casinos and hotels and nightclubs. And my job was to shoot TV shows and movies that wanted to use on location casinos, which is a really cool job. It's really rad and I had a great time doing it. Um, But the best way to shoot a movie inside the lobby of Caesars Palace is to do it in the middle of the night. And the middle of the night in Las Vegas is also a great time to see lots of people being exploited. Um, lots of people working in um, the money for sex trade. And we as employees of the casinos were not equipped with the knowledge, the resources, the information to actually do something about what we're seeing. In fact, the response from the casinos was to cite the, the person who I viewed as a victim cite them for trespassing and remove them from the property. And it was those instances, like observing those things happening that made me realize something has to be done about this. And I actually might have the skill set to contribute to this. So that's what um, drives my passion about addressing sex trafficking and the importance of businesses being a part of that. Um, So before I go any further, just out of courtesy for your listeners, I I do want to share like kind of a trigger warning that I'm going to be referencing sex trafficking. I'm going to be referencing crimes against children. Um, If these are things that trigger you, I just encourage you to take care of yourself. Before you go back, because now this whole Las Vegas connection is um, interesting. How did you end up in filming, um, you know, in the TV and production arena? How does how did you get there? Oh, yeah. Thanks for asking that. I originally was on the public relations team um, for one of the large gaming companies. Uh, A lot of casinos are like families, groups of companies. So I worked for one of the major companies um, in public relations, but we constantly received requests for TV shows that want to film in Las Vegas. Like if you think back 10 years ago, you may or may not have heard of Gordon Ramsay, but we shot so many episodes of Hell's Kitchen that now Gordon Ramsay has five, I think it's five, restaurants in Las Vegas, like we were the team uh, responsible for responding to those requests. And they became so frequent that um, I requested to kind of take a risk and create a department that focused solely on TV and film production. And by the time I left, I was the corporate director of television and film production. And we shot over a hundred productions each year, which was really, really, really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I sobbed through my resignation because I really did like my job, um, but my heart um, couldn't stay there any longer. I knew that there was something I needed to do about trafficking and I needed to not step on anyone's toes or assume that I'm an expert. And really all I want to do is just tell businesses how they can help. Yeah, I also want to ask one other question there because you said something that might be unfamiliar to people. You, You said you viewed the people as victims. You know, a lot of people hearing that for the first time might not have that perspective. So did you just innately have that perspective or did that evolve uh, during your time in Las Vegas? Where does it come from? So the state of Nevada does have some laws where um, the exchange of money for sex is legal. Las Vegas is not one of those locations. Clark County, where Las Vegas exists, is not a, a county that allows um, for any kind of money in exchange for sex. Um, 
but to see someone in the middle of the night who most of us would just identify as a prostitute and to see how tired they were um, and how unhealthy they looked and having to wear clothing that they obviously just didn't want to be in, you know, trying to find a place where they could just sit down and rest was typically when security would intervene and ask the person to leave the area. Um, and it's really sad to see someone who just wants to sit down and rest and be left alone, never be left alone. It's just really sad. Um, so even though it seemed like maybe that person was there by choice and that was um, the trade that they decided to work in, it was very clear that they still needed some kind of resources for more support. You got to this place in your career where you were, you know, doing 100 um, movies uh, uh, or 100, um, you know, a year. Um, what was it, the inflection point where you saw this stuff happening that just said, hey, I got to go and do something? I read a news story one morning in my office at work about um, a leader in a different country and on a different continent um, whose people were starving and didn't have access to clean water and there was a famine and it was just a really bad situation. And <laughs> later that day, that same leader with multiple of his wives arrived in the hotel where I worked. Um, and that was kind of a pivotal moment to me of like, am I contributing good to the world? Is the work that I'm doing and the, and the stuff that I'm giving my time and my attention and my skill set to, is it benefiting anybody or is it really just marketing casinos? And the answer was the latter. And I think that the arrival of that leader into the very hotel where my office was, was very triggering for me of you're actually helping this person and not all the people who actually need help. So that was a turning point for me um, in my career. That would, I would say that's like the moment that I was like, I need to go. Yeah. You know, before we get back to E3, what, what's the state of Las Vegas? Are, are the casinos joining in an effort to help this cause or what, what, what is that industry doing that so many of us go take part in? I really don't think I can answer for that because I've been gone for so many years. I've been gone for five years. Um, so I'm not, I'm not uh, up to date on if they're doing trainings now, if they have any kind of like internal external reporting protocols for how to say something if you see something. So I would love to find out. That's a great question. Maybe we turn back to E3 then. And when you gave your warning, uh, because I think you're, th the next step was going to be to educate us and our listeners on the same conversation we had with you initially. And it, it's a really interesting one. Well, I just, just to, I don't mean to, you know, take us back a little bit, but you didn't go straight over to PCI after, um, Las, after that uh, Las Vegas. I, I think you took off and moved to Bali. <laughs> Um, you have such a good memory. He's getting ready to go. And I actually had my honeymoon in Bali. So we're all uh, spiritually connected in one way or another or soon, soon to be here. Um, it's really special. All right. Well, let's shift back to E3 then right. and, uh, and get the message. I, and I'm, maybe I was anxious in getting there, but I mean, I think uh, Gabe and I and C3 feel like it's an important cause. So... Um, I definitely want to make sure you have the time and energy to, to put into it. Sure, sure. Um, so when I moved to San Diego from uh, for two years, I just worked pro bono. I reached out to some victim service organizations that support um, housing and recovery programs for survivors and said, hi, I'm Hannah. I'm new to town. This is the skill set that I have. Is there any work I could do for you? Um, and that's how I was kind of introduced into the movement. And I attended every public meeting, every advisory council gathering. Anytime the district attorney spoke about trafficking, I was present because it was something that was so important to me. Uh, but I do think it's important to find where we fit in the things that we want to do, the ways that we care about them. And I'm excited to um, talk about the ideas that you guys had. Um, but anyway, I tried to enter the movement 
um, like slowly and graciously and learn who's at work and who's doing what and what is actually helpful. Like where can I actually give? And after hearing district attorney Summer Stephan speak, um, I heard a woman from PCI speak about the, the concept of a business alliance against trafficking. And I approached her right after the meeting and I was like, hello, my name is Hannah. I care about businesses knowing about sex trafficking. Like this, this specific thing is what I'm very passionate about. Like, can you use me? Um, and I became a consultant for PCI as we like studied business alliances and how they work and how can we make this successful. And then eventually was um, hired on full time to be the person to actually get to design this concept that what I was so eager about. Um, so we built E3 Alliance which stands for Employers Ending Exploitation. And the way we chose that name was really delicate because it's not just businesses that need to know about it. It's anyone who employs anyone else. Everyone needs to know what's happening in the community and how it may affect them. Um, so nonprofits join, for-profits join, um, every industry this is relevant to. If you are ever in public, if you use the internet, if you have a child or you know a child, this information is really pertinent and important. Um, so with the design of E3 Alliance, we had to be um, intentional about not just inviting businesses into a space with other businesses who say they care about the same thing. Um, so E3 Alliance has three different kinds of partnerships. We have government partnerships, um, that includes our district attorney, Summer Stephan, our city attorney, Mara Elliott, the San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force, which is this like incredible group of officers from different um, police departments and different like federal agencies that work together here in San Diego to look for missing children and to um, intercept uh, sex buyers, especially sex buyers who are interested in children. So those um, entities that are already doing the work, they join E3 as government partners. Our second type of partnership is community partners. And what we consider our community partners are those people already doing the work. So that's our victim service organizations that are working with survivors, but it's also um, family foundations that are giving funding to support work with survivors. It also includes like individual advocates who are just passionate about the cause and want to join. Um, and it includes clubs that want to share out information. So Gen Next is a really good example of a club that could be a community partner of the Alliance. And by joining, it's their commitment to disseminate information about trafficking out to their club members. Rotary is also a good example of a community partner. And then our third type of partner is our business partner. And that is the partner that has to do kind of the heavy lifting, but we've done all the work for them. So when business partners join, we ask that you sign a commitment that says, we care about this cause. We acknowledge that it exists. We're committed to training our staff about it, and we believe that we can make change. Um, the second step is we do an assessment with the company. It takes 10 minutes max to fill out the assessment, um, and that's how we kind of create your pathway to becoming a certified business partner. The only portion that is absolutely required is that all of your employees be trained about what sex trafficking is what the red flag indicators are and the best way to report them. Um, and we teach that through a digital training. Employees can take at their convenience. It takes about 40 minutes. It has Q&A throughout. Um, it is interactive. And then the other kind of training that we offer is a live interactive webinar. So kind of a conversation like we're having now. Um, it creates space for people who want to ask questions or who need clarification. And when we speak live, about sex trafficking, we always invite someone who's experienced exploitation to join the conversation. It's, that is um, like an ethical priority of PCIs, of our human trafficking portfolio, of E3 Alliance and Project Roots, that when we are um, teaching about sex trafficking, when we're actually giving a training and we're talking about how it happens, what it looks like, what to do, that we include the voice of someone who has experienced it. Um, and we real, also, huh? yeah, yeah. And we also prioritize that person has to be compensated for sharing their expertise with us. Um, so we don't ever ask a survivor, um, to give us their time or to share their exploitation experience. There's so much survivors have to give to this field beyond continuously being asked, can you tell us your story of how you were exploited? And, um, 
Yeah. I'm so, really, so, I feel really passionately about that. So C3 is engaged with E3. No, no pun intended there. By the way, was that, uh, was E3 inspired a, a little bit by uh, C3 or no, I'm just kidding. Of course. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> We did, um, we did like agonize over the name and right. I, re- I remember when you told us it was E3. How weird is this? We arrived at E3. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, and it was kind of similar to the journey of how we got to C3. So it was just a weird uh, coincidence, but it, as we're in process on this journey, but for another business who would consider it, can, can you talk a little bit like what it, you said they would be educated on these things. Can you give us a taste of uh, what that is so that businesses out there who might consider engaging with you understand that a little better? Yeah, definitely. So the education that we provide simply tells the extent of what's happening. So we talk about, um, there's a study about sex trafficking in San Diego that we reference often. um, And it estimates that it's an $810 million dollar per year industry in San Diego. And I think with that statistic, it's very important. Yeah, it's the second largest underground industry in San Diego um, behind drugs. Um, But it's important to talk about that's $810 million. It's in our economy, but that is existing kind of off the books. And um, we also need to acknowledge that sex trafficking happens by utilizing existing technological and business infrastructure So the same ways that we see trafficking happening are the ways that we can combat trafficking. And I'll give you um, an example of that. I'm looking at my notes here. We did um, kind of a project. It wasn't a a research study. We just kind of wanted to do a survey of how things were working in San Diego. So um, we utilized uh, a website that used to be the website where sex was, um, sale of sex was facilitated. And we put up postings of underage girls for sale. And then we just watched over the course of weeks, the peak times that we saw that people were looking for sex. And between 10 a.m. and noon was the time frame that we see people buying, buying sex. And then we could also kind of look at the phone numbers that were coming in via text or phone call. And people were calling in from their places of work on company phones. Like this is something that's happening within businesses whether or not sex trafficking has anything to do with what the business really does. Um, is it people traveling here to San Diego to work or is it people who are here permanently working? Yeah, both, both. So the estimation in San Diego is that at any given time, there's about 3,400 victims of trafficking and it 80% um, have been found to be Um, born in the United States. So we do talk about us being a border city and how much trafficking are we seeing from that. But the majority of trafficking that's been observed in San Diego has been through um, or been by American victims, which I think is interesting. Um, I wanted to ask the question about um, engagement because this whole, you know, when you think about nonprofits and engaging with businesses, you know, it's really easy if it's, you know, cancer uh, for kids or or hunger or homelessness. Um, but I think when you talk about sex trafficking, some businesses, you know, get scared of like just that taboo or something. Yeah. Like it's a taboo topic. Yeah. Um, and you know, how do you overcome that and help, or at least help businesses overcome that, uh, that, you know, that taboo feeling that, Hey, this is something that, um, you know, really is important and that, um, that, you know, they can engage with. That's a really good question. There are certain industries in California that are mandated to train their employees about sex trafficking and also hang a poster in their lobby area in three different languages um, that say that we know what sex trafficking is. Here are the indicators of it. Here's the number you should call if you see it or if you need help. And we did at the beginning have some of those industries resistant Um, to do that because they felt that by hanging the poster in their lobby, it was like some kind of admission of guilt of like this used to happen here and now we're trying to curb it. But what it really means is that it's happening all around us, whether we see it or not. Um, And I like to give, I I like to, when I first talk to businesses to say, um, there's this phenomenon that's referred to as like the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, or you might know it as like the frequency illusion or the yellow car theory. All of these things are the same. And what it is, 
is we're going to provide you with information about something that is happening all around you. Um, Jamie, I think a good ex example is you guys, you mentioned that you guys are in hotel circle and that sometimes you see people kind of walking outside. Like we're going to teach you what to look for and then you're going to see it when you are out in public, when it's all around you, you're going to start to see the red flag indicators. And so whether you acknowledge that it's existing at the time, we're going to show you the way that it is. And another reason that's so important to get in front of businesses is the variance of audiences. So we know we can reach new audiences with information about trafficking, but we're also potentially reaching sex buyers. We're also potentially meeting people who have been victimized in their life and don't even realize that they've been a victim of trafficking. Um, and for me, this like demographic of parents, being able to talk to moms and dads um, about ways that their children could be victimized is really important. And I find that when we talk to businesses, it's important to bring up that children are the number one target for both sex traffickers and sex buyers, like kids are at risk. And because of COVID, we have like this kind of double whammy of information that we need to be paying attention to and handling really delicately. And that is that some children are now home alone because their parents have to go to work and they're unsupervised in their home. And that's a really high risk demographic. And second is that we have to teach our children about internet safety. And what children are learning about internet safety right now is that it's, it's accurate and it's right to be on camera talking to someone on the other side of the screen who's giving the child instructions like that is a very very delicate vulnerable thing and it doesn't take someone actually touching your child for your child to be victimized you really have to be vigilant about what your kids have access to the average age of entry of sex trafficking in san diego is 16. and california had 3800 runaways last year and statistics tell us that within the first 24 hours um, our first 48 hours of someone under 18 being on the streets, they're picked up by a trafficker. If you need a home, you need a place to stay, you need a meal, you need money, and it doesn't take long for someone to become addicted to drugs, like drugs are very much a component that we have to consider. Um, and especially when we talk about like helping people leave trafficking, it has to be something that is the victim's choice to do, but we can't just bring them into a recovery house because sometimes they need mental help, sometimes they need medical help sometimes they need drug addiction recovery and by educating businesses about this our hope is that we can kind of create this web of engagement of each business being challenged to find okay where do we fit in this in this like crazy system of trafficking um and i don't want to i don't want to tell your story but you guys brought this really fantastic idea forward of like this is the industry we, we work in. How can we stay in our lane and our expertise and still contribute to the anti-trafficking movement? And how are you strengthening that citywide movement together? I reference your idea often because I, th I think it's genius. Well, maybe one that uh, a story that a listener could resonate with regardless of the industry. I mean, I, I remember, I, I don't know if we told you this, Hannah, or not, but probably a few days after you initially spoke to us and educated us on all of this, uh, Carla was in the parking lot and saw a van pull up with like four or five guys in it and a girl who was naked. And it looked like, you know, disheveled or whatever word you want to use. So she came up because we, she, we spoke to some of the, uh, our leadership team about it. She's like, Hey, I just saw this thing. What do I do with it? And we were kind of like, well, we're not sure. We haven't got to that step yet. Like we learned about like all the warning signs. So, you know, I, we, we activated, we contacted the building owners, see if we get tapes, we reported it to the police. We started taking steps, but we really didn't know what, when business owners or businesses in the community go through your program, what kind of education do they get when they see that person walking down the street or they see someone in a hotel or like Carla did? Yeah. So when we teach people about trafficking, what's happening, what it really looks like, because it really does, it, there's a lot of different ways that trafficking exists and what it looks like. Um, but what we ask people to focus on is when you see a combination of red flag indicators. So like, why are all those people in that van? Why was that woman naked? Why was she outnumbered? 
What were they doing in our parking lot? Like what brought them here? So that combination of red flag indicators, you're right, is like, wow, this is very much telling us that this interaction has something to do with sex trafficking. Um, so there's different ways to report depending on what you're seeing. And we go over that. Um, we leave it to the business. We provide a really detailed template, but we leave it to the business to fill out that template to establish what does your internal reporting protocol look like? Like, does Carla go to human resources or she's in human resources? Does she go to Ona? Does she come to the partners? What is her route to, to report internally? And then also we provide an external reporting protocol. So if you see something, who do you call and what do you say? And that actually varies depending on what you're seeing. Um, we say, if you see something that just triggers, like, I see a combination of red flags. It doesn't look like anyone's in immediate danger, but I feel like we need to know about this. We instruct you to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline, and they keep a record of what's happening in what city and what the frequency is, and they're in touch with our police department. If you see something like Carla saw that was urgent and it looked like that person could potentially be hurt, um, we instruct you to call 911, but even when you call 911, you should use specific language to report to ensure the call is routed to the appropriate department. So we provide that language as well that says, hi, I'm calling. I believe that I'm actively seeing someone who is being trafficked and she's not clothed and she appears to be in danger. And here are all, here are the red flag indicators and here's what I observed. Like we would ask Carla to take a mental note of like, what kind of van was it? What was the license plate on the van? Like, you know, uh, document your observations and then report internally through the right protocols and then externally as well. So we provide that to you. And then we also have optional HR policy. Our HR policy was drafted um, by the vice president of human relations, um, of human resources, excuse me, for Point Loma Nazarene University. And then it was passed through California employment attorneys to ensure it's enforceable. So we provide you with language you can adopt into your human resources policies um, that include the behavior you expect of your employees. Like we expect you not to be looking for sex while you're at work on company devices on our internet Wi-Fi. Um, the second is if you see something like through a customer or through an observation on your company property, so like Carla did, what do you do? Um, and then we also have an HR policy for traveling. So if you're traveling for work, if you're staying in a hotel room for work, if you're using a company car, all of those things are off limits for paying for sex. Um, that's illegal. We don't support it. If you're caught doing it, then you're terminated. So we provide that policy and then we leave it to the businesses to adopt it as they see fit, like what is relevant to you and how do, you can change the language um, to match how you talk about your company. But we do provide that for you if you opt to use it. That's great. That's, that's powerful stuff. And I think, you know, the awareness and, you know, the tools can be really powerful. Do you have some examples um, of, you know, partners in the business side where, you know, you can kind of, sh you can share um, so we can just see where, where there's been impact? Yeah, I think what's important to mention is, um, like you said earlier, gave the engagement portion of E3 Alliance. So when businesses join, our, our priority is to lay foundational education about what's happening. Um, but the second step, we kind of anticipate two outcomes when we train people on sex trafficking. One outcome is, I didn't know this was happening and I need help. I need to talk to my kid about this. I think I've been victimized. I think I need to talk to someone. I've bought sex and I think that I need support. Um, so we, on our website, we have a really robust list of resources that people, anywhere they find themselves in the world of trafficking, um, we provide resources in response to those needs. So we want to make sure that if, if someone, you know, finds themselves kind of falling, when they learn this information, we are there to catch them with resources. Um, the second anticipation that we have is people are going to find out about it and they're going to go, oh my gosh, I had no idea. How can I help? Which you two are my prime example of like, oh my goodness, this is real, this is happening, we're in. What can we do to help? Um, so on our website, we created this really cool, it's the only place in San Diego this exists, it's a two-way engage page. So we invite survivors of trafficking and our victim service organizations to use this page and they can go on it and they can post any need they have. Um, we have it divided up by in-kind donations, professional services, volunteer support, um, 
gosh, I'm missing one. Uh, anyway, they can go on and they can say like, we need 10 volunteers for this, or we need someone to help us with our taxes, or we have a survivor who just got a job and she needs a car. Like any need they can think of, they're invited to come and post it. And then when businesses learn about it and they wanna get involved, be it an individual from a business or the business together as a whole, can go onto the same space, the same page on our website, and you can do one of two things. You can respond to a need that you see posted on there, or you can offer something up. Um, so that part of the program is really exciting for me because that's how I entered the movement was to say like, this is the skill set that I have to offer and I care about this cause. How can you use me? And really, we can use you. Any business that wants to join, like there is a space for you to be helpful. Um, so we are trying to also be the connector between the people who are doing the work and people who want to get involved in the work. I, I wanted to ask a question about something you said a few minutes ago, because it, I think in a prior conversation, we spoke about it and it was something that I hadn't really connected to trafficking, but you, you spoke about drugs and I think when we first sat down with you, you talked about the role drugs play in um, people being trafficked into the system. And if I have that right, could you could you talk about that a little bit? Because I, I don't know if everybody always connects the role that drugs play in changing the minds of victims that are brought into trafficking. And I, I think it's an important part of the equation. Yeah. So I'll clarify with um, with a person over the age of 18, trafficking for them means that they are um, brought in to be sold for sex by using force, fraud, <clears throat> excuse me, or coercion with people, with children under 18. Um, no, no force, fraud, or coercion has to happen for a child to be exploited. I mean, disseminating pictures of your child taking a bath for sexual purposes, like that child was never hurt, was never touched, doesn't know that they're being exploited. That's, that's commercial sexual exploitation of children. Um, for people over 18, it's different. Um, but the role that drugs play is really important because a very quick and seamless way to start to manipulate someone and use them for your own benefit is through the use of drugs because um, addiction plays a massive role in trafficking. Um, we know that when someone is addicted to drugs, we can't expect anything out of them that's going to make sense about their long-term future because they're just so focused on their needs and their cravings right now. Um, so especially with runaways, it doesn't take days and days and days or months and months and months to brainwash someone. If you take someone, you exploit them very quickly, you introduce them to drugs, you're suddenly in charge of that person. You have complete control and they rely on you now for their needs, which is drugs. Um, so we do find that drugs play a huge role. And it's also important to note that um, a long-term goal of E3 Alliance is to identify employment opportunities for survivors. It's not the primary goal straight out of the gate. We want to create a foundation of education first, then build up engagement like you've talked about, and then seek employment opportunities. So educate, engage, employ is also our E3. Um, yeah, but drugs play a huge role. And anyway, all that to say when we have a survivor who's been out of the life when they've gone through a recovery process and they've gone through, you know, employee trainings and they're ready to, in, to enter a traditional job, we find that their background checks um, tend to be a huge hindrance to finding long-term opportunities because they almost certainly have trespassing charges, drug charges, theft charges, trafficking charges. I mean, victims can be charged with their victimization. Victims can be charged with selling their body for sex, despite the fact that it wasn't them actually receiving the money for sex. Yeah, so drugs play a huge role, and any major city will tell you we do not have enough drug um, rehabilitation services, and we don't have a, enough mental health rehabilitation services to support the number of people who are actually struggling with those things. Um, I did have a, uh, Hannah, I had a question about, you know, a lot of times I think, you know, businesses and people are thinking like this, there's, this is a real socioeconomic, uh, a socioeconomic factor is majority of people that are getting sex trafficked. Um, is it socioeconomic or can it happen to anybody? 
Yeah. So it can happen to anybody, anybody, any age. We find that there are um, youths who are trafficked who have like really stable family life and background. Um, the place where I think we start to lose um, protection of our kids is around internet safety. So I think, yes, of course, some people who struggle financially are at a much higher risk for sure. It does cross socioeconomic boundaries. So there are, for lack of a better term, there's like low hanging fruit that traffickers can capitalize on. Um, like kids who are left unsupervised, um, especially kids who are seeking validation. I mean, I would encourage you just to get on Instagram and look up the hashtag teen model. And you can quickly see um, people who are crying out for validation, who want someone to look at their photograph and think that it's nice, that it's great. Um, and that can be people from any background. Um, but that's a huge warning to parents. If you look at your kid's social media and you see that what they're seeking out is some kind of um, usually exterior validation or someone who just wants to be heard and listened to, that's a very vulnerable child to trafficking. So that can be anybody from any life. And we do find that people from, you know, who are experiencing extreme poverty to extreme wealth utilize the same kinds of social media. Um, and we did a survey a couple of years ago about youths and trafficking. And we surveyed 20 San Diego high schools all over the county and 20 out of 20 confirmed they have recruitment tactics happening on property. Um, so kids being recruited by other kids their age or people who are kind of lingering around high schools or looking for kids that want some kind of attention. Yeah. So a lot everybody. of it starts on social media and on the internet. Yeah. Social media plays a huge role, a huge role. There's actually um, a really cool uh, person here in San Diego who works in the anti-trafficking field who is working on um, technology that would tell parents that their child is at a higher risk and that they need to be looking at their social media. Um, he also has kind of technology set up to identify youths who are kind of crying out for attention on social media and ways to get safe messaging to them of like, we see you, we think you're great and are happy you're here um, and we want you to be safe. So here are some things to look out for. So we can almost utilize the same strategies that we see recruitment happening as a way to combat. Are there, Hannah, are there applications that, um, you know, that your organization recommends for monitoring um, internet use for their kids? Yeah. Yep. They're listed under the resources page on the e on E3's website, which is e3sandiego.org. If you go to resources, you'll see, um, you'll see a section for parents and that tells you about apps you can use for your kids' social media. It tells you um, there's programs for how to talk to your kids about pornography. Like when your kids are young, you have to pr protect them from um, becoming a victim of child pornography, but then as your kid gets older and they learn about things that interest them, we have to keep in mind, like the internet is their teacher. Um, so if your child is interested in things like sex, which of course a child going through puberty has questions about sex, it's really important that you be a part of that conversation and not just let the internet be the educator to your child about sex, because that is very confusing. A whole nother topic beyond business alliance is the parenting side of it. So it's like, it's scary stuff for anybody who has a kid to think about these things because it's so foreign to how we grew up we just didn't have that access. So it's not only do parents have to handle conversations about sex with their kids, but they have to go learn all this stuff that wasn't available to them uh, when they were kids. So it's, it's a challenge. I was just going to say, we have people who have taught along the way who have been like, oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that's what sex traffic, I've been a victim of that. And it's just really crazy. Um, I, I think we need to like do everything we can to get resources out to people who are in need wherever they find themselves. Like, I mean, we have people uh, who have bought sex a handful of times and we consider them like someone who is persuadable. Like maybe you've done this, but you don't have to do it again. And if you think you're going to do it again, there's support systems for you. Like there's groups for people who buy sex. And I could talk like, a full another hour about the dangers of child pornography and how sophisticated 
pedophile groups online are. I mean, they're very in touch with each other and it's very complicated to access them. And it is messy and scary. And I'll talk to you about it another time. (laughs) Sounds like a second podcast episode that uh, we're going to have to have you back on. All right. So we're going to move in now to rapid fire. So what is the one item you could never, ever, ever live without? Coffee. Oh, good answer. Are you a, are you a morning or night person? Morning. If you ran for a public office, what would your slogan be? We have to protect our kids. Good one. Your favorite uh, Vegas-based film is? Oh, I had so much fun working on Hangover 3. Uh, that I mean, that's a great film. If you could add another big old head on Mount Rushmore, whose head would it be? That's a good question. Harriet Tubman. Ooh. She's what, got some good answers. Yeah. What is the one thing you've always wanted to do? I'm doing everything I want to do. <laughs> a bucket list item. There's a, a horse race in Mongolia that I would really like to participate in. We're going to have to get to that in the next podcast as well. <laughs> uh, what technology do you see changing or impacting the world the most? I think that I think the majority of our interaction with people is going to become one dimensional like it is right now. Uh, 2021, Hannah, is going to be it is for Hannah is going to be the year of. Oh, um, I, I want to expand my um, education in this, this, this year. All right. So for businesses who would not view themselves in the direct line of sex trafficking, much like insurance, what's the use case for a friend of ours who owns a company in a similar position to get involved with E3? Sure. There's a there's a legal case for businesses to join. There's a federal law called the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. And it says if trafficking happens using any part of your business and you fail to recognize the indicators of it, you can be held liable for it. So there's a business case for every business to be informed. But in 2021, we're learning that kind of the corporate social responsibility goals of businesses this year is dignity, equity, and inclusion. And no matter if you have anyone on your staff who's experienced exploitation, you most certainly have people on your staff who have experienced trauma. And by focusing on dignity, equity, and inclusion, I think that we're creating safer workspaces for anyone who's experienced trauma, like a a veteran of combat war, someone who's experienced domestic violence. DE&I is such a good priority for businesses and a great way to actually say that you're putting that into action is to is to look at sex trafficking, educate your staff about it and find out where you fit in the solution. You've had this amazing journey to get to where you are and um, you're doing uh, really amazing things and uh, making an impact. Uh, when you, if you look back um, and reflect, um, what would you, uh, what kind of advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, uh, I would definitely tell my younger self to be constantly in touch with my footprint on the world. Like, is what I'm doing helpful? Is it hurting anyone? Am I spending my time wisely? Um, yeah. I think that, that connects well to your experience in Bali. Yeah. So our, our organization, we, uh, you know how we are. We like to be different. We champion it. What, what's the difference around E3 and or PCI um, from other organizations that makes you all different and special? Uh, we are currently the program in the city that's educating businesses. There are certainly other organizations and other advocates who have trained businesses. Definitely want to acknowledge them, but um, we're the ones focusing on it. And I think what sets us apart is that we're trying to do the work that's our expertise and alleviate other organizations from needing to worry about things like this. So there have been businesses along the way who've been like, Hey, we want to train our staff and maybe like an executive director of a recovery house will come in and train a staff. And that's great. But if we can alleviate them from 
focusing on that and letting us do that part for them. Our hope is that we can engage the businesses, connect them with the victim service organizations and find ways that we can engage and build the movement. That makes perfect sense. Well, C3 is uh, committed to be a, a partner with E3 and, and we're going to shout it from the rooftops. But if somebody's listened to this podcast and, and they want to engage, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you if it's not through Gabe or I? Yeah. So visit our website, e3sandiego.org. Um, there's uh, an option to contact us or to join. Just click that. It's a really short form. Just collect just like your name, your email address, and your organization and is sent to my team. So anything that you submit through the website will come across my desk. I'll ensure that we get in touch with you and we'll get you started on the implementation pathway to becoming an anti-trafficking organization. Yeah, perfect. That's great. Any uh, parting words? Um, pay attention to your children. Those are my parting words. <laughs> pay attention to children. We need to be keeping an eye on children and what they're doing and who is contacting them. It's so important that our kids feel seen and heard and validated at home so they don't have to seek that somewhere else. And I think that's amazing when you are connecting with businesses, you know, all the employees and um, leadership, they, a lot of them have kids and mm -hmm. um, that can just have this trickle effect on helping, uh, you know, helping us um, keep our kids safe. So uh, thank you for all your work. Yeah, I'll share with Absolutely. you. I, I, I'm not a mother, but I have all this maternal energy and all the maternal energy I have goes into this. Like I don't have to, care about my kids, but I care about yours. That's awesome. Great perspective. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Hannah. We appreciate your time today and all the work you're doing on the, on the uh, sex trafficking front in San Diego to fight the good fight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.